This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, however it applies. Your host, Jeff Lloyd. We're going to sit down here. We're going to get schooled on our new head coach here in Cleveland with the one, the only from uh, Minnesota, the athletic. If some of you remember in the infancy of locked on, he was one of the hosts of locked on Vikings, former 12 year NFL vet, former Iowa state. Great Sage Rosenfeld Sage. First things first. Uh, how's life treating you? You know, as far as you know, family football, being on the other side of it now, doing your reporting and obviously, you know, your film review and all that work. Well, life is good. Uh, I, I really I shouldn't have any complaints. Of course, uh, I'm a human, therefore I look to complain about things. But uh, for the most part, my life is pretty dang good. I came out of the NFL uh, very healthy. Didn't have to have uh, you know a lot of surgeries and uh, sort of being the, the journeyman backup. That means you didn't play that much, and so I didn't. I don't have uh, you know neck issues and knee issues and you know third hip operations. None of that is. Uh, occurring with me. So I, I'm pretty fortunate and I got three healthy kids and I uh, live in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, which isn't the greatest city to cover the NFL as there's no NFL team here, obviously, but uh, I, I still cover the Vikings. I do a Bears show every Tuesday. Obviously, I follow my Iowa State team, uh, usually call a game or, or two college football games a year and just sort of dabble in this, that, and the other. Uh, which is nice. Nothing uh, a full-time media for me, but it, it's amazing when you watch film from your couch, real NFL film, not the you know the TV copy, uh, mm-hmm. but the the real film of how I watch film and and uh, and then how I can you know then break down what actually happens in these games, whether the quarterback's fault, the right guard's fault, you know what are the pass concepts, what's the style of play, uh, and obviously covering the, the Vikings, you know, on my on my radio show, which is three days a week up in the Twin Cities and, and knowing Kevin Stefanski for, shoot, since 2009, um, when his, his first year of actual coaching in the NFL, uh, I, I've known him for a long time, and, and I think Cleveland is, uh, is going to be very happy with uh, the type of coach they get in Kevin Stefanski. Um, yeah, they've gone with uh, you know, the approach here of you know, the unified front and wanting everything to be structured and everyone essentially to be on the same page, which is obviously a bit drastic difference for what failed them in the 2019 season. Uh, as a veteran yourself, Kevin, being around the league for 12 years, and obviously I'm sure there's some situations you were in that were great, some not so great. Um, there's people upset about you know, the approach, but it does the approach – matter as much as having everyone unified and almost having one voice where everyone is going to be on the same page? Well, yeah, at the end of the day, obviously, you know, it's the head coaches. He's the main voice. But I think what's great about Kevin uh, is that he doesn't have a big ego. Uh, This is a guy who's been around professional sports in, in a sense his whole life. You know, he grew up, he went to Penn, he played college sports, but his dad, Eddie, uh, was a longtime NBA GM and front office person. So he's been around this whole thing for a long time. He's seen uh, egos out of control. He's seen that, you know, things happen the wrong way, things happen the right way, the right type of, uh, you know, NBA coaches. And obviously in his time in the NFL for the last, uh, you know, 10, 12 years, really, I think the 2006, he got in the league as basically the head coach's assistant. He has sort of seen it all, uh, you know, a lot of different personalities in Minnesota. So what, that, that's what's great about Kevin is he doesn't have this. He's very much an adult. Uh, I think Cleveland doesn't have a, a kid running the show anymore. It's a very much a guy who walks in, 
uh, he treats people like an adult, uh, like adults, and and uh, he he doesn't have that big ego. I mean, imagine being a coordinator, and then you know the, the team hires Gary Kubiak to be this sort of co-coordinator, consultant, sort of overlooking your shoulder type of guy. Uh, and and by all accounts, those two and Kubes also doesn't have a big ego, but those two work tremendously together to try to create the best game plan, the best play calls, the best designs for that Minnesota Vikings football team to put them in a position to be successful. And, you know, they took a guy, Kirk Cousins, who, to be honest, didn't have you know much of a, a year the year before and then statistically had the best year of his career. And this is a guy who's very limited if you ever watch the Vikings game. I mean, he's as far as, uh, you know, seven on seven in accuracy. And if you can drop back in the pocket and not have problems, Kirk's probably a top, uh, you know, seven or eight quarterback. And, uh, but, you know, athletically, he's down near the bottom. So if the right guard misses and the, or, or, or there's a little bit of a, a protection issue here, man, that the play is pretty much over. He has almost no ability to create after that. So that's not an easy place to be in if you're a play caller, if you're an offensive coordinator. And Kevin Stefanski, I thought, did a great job with him this year, really maximizing Kirk's strengths and, and minimizing his weaknesses. Uh, and then at the end of the season, he ended up having, you know, a top five QB rating and, and a lot, you know, a pro football focus had him ranked, I think, as the fourth best quarterback in the NFL. We all know Kirk Cousins is not the fourth best quarterback in the NFL, but if you look what he did statistically this year, uh, he, he was. And uh, that, to me, that is all coaching. I mean, obviously the players get it done, but for a coach to put the whole offense around him uh, with the running game of Dalvin Cook and, and the, way they, the way they threw the ball, what types of passes they threw, Stephon Diggs went from 10 yards of completion two years ago to 18 yards of completion this year. I mean, same same line, same quarterback, same receiver. He goes up eight yards per catch. That's a different offense, and that's Kevin Stefanski. Um, okay, now uh, Kevin himself. Now, obviously, fourteen seasons, you know, with the Vikings. You know, uh, you know one year at Penn after his post playing days. Um, what's that like for? For him, for the Vikings, it's a tough position. Obviously, you know they gave him the opportunity, and you know he grew. and I, I love that you brought up, yeah, because he's worked with the quarterbacks, he's worked with the tight ends, he's worked with the running backs. So that's one thing I I, I look forward to as a head coach because any times he can sit with any player and say, okay, all right, look, I've been through this scenario with so and so. I've been, you know, so which he has the ability to you know, work to what's going to be around him. Is it tough for Minnesota to have to let him go? Because, I mean, it, it was 14 years. Obviously, you know, Kevin did some great work, but it was 14 years of them working with him to get him to this position. I mean, you know, it's really amazing. Is, you know, when he got there, when Brad Childress is the head coach, uh, you know, obviously Leslie Frazier uh, was the head coach in there, and, you know, Mike Zimmer. And, you know, usually, almost always, when head coaches get fired and the whole most of the staff gets fired, you know, about 90% of the assistants usually like go to a lot of times. There's a, there's a couple guys that are held over. Well, Kevin was when, when Childress got fired, you know, he was still a quality control coach. Uh, yet when Leslie Frazier got the job, he stayed on. Uh, when Mike Zimmer got the job, he stayed on. And, and some of that was the new coaches liking him. But a lot of that was the organization just liking him so much. He's a very good people person. Uh, he's very honest. Uh, he's very, uh, I would say, you know, open, um, and, uh, and, and players get along with them. People in that organization 
have gotten to like him over the years, and they they didn't want to let him go. Anytime he was offered another job somewhere else, the Vikings would, you know, either up his position from say running backs to to quarterbacks, which is you know he always knew being a coordinator, a head coach, the you had it always ends up really wanting to roll through the quarterback room because they're the ones who have to sort of know everything. And and he went from you know as as a quality control to tight ends to running backs to quarterbacks to coordinator and now a head coach. And so the, 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 that's a pretty special and rare instance where you have a guy that's been through multiple coaching staffs, but at the same organization because the Minnesota Vikings and, and Rick Spielman and everyone upstairs, they simply did not want to let go of a guy who they knew at some point would be a really quality coordinator or possibly a head coach in this league or, or for them. And uh, I, I would have no doubt if they would have had issues up there in Minnesota this year with Mike Zimmer and decided to let him go, my guess is that Kevin Savansky would have been the head coach in Minnesota. Yeah, um, there was some, you know, obviously talk towards the end of the season. And I'm sure, you know, obviously that uh, the playoff win over New Orleans certainly helped Mike Zimmer. But, you know, we were getting nervous um, that there wasn't going to be the opportunity that Kevin was maybe going to be able to leave. But obviously, you know, you pulled that one out. Uh, still, you know, a boatload of talent and a lot of branches essentially maybe falling off you know, the base of the tree in Minnesota. Obviously, they'll have some work to do there to rebuild a staff. We're going to get to a little bit more here with Sage Rosenfels unlocked on Browns. Sage, one of the things that I found most impressive uh, with Stefanski's work in Minnesota is a lot of mouths to feed. Obviously, you know, you have Dalvin Cook, uh, you know, a running back who demands a high amount of carries per game because, you know, equates to good success. He gets better with you know, his touches, um, you know, Rudolph has obviously been, you know, a, a mainstay there for years. He was able to add in Irv Smith Jr. This year, you have the two tight end. I mean, the two wide receivers and Stephon Diggs and in Adam Thielen. And it's going to be a similar situation here in Cleveland. A lot of those pieces are in place. It, it, what does it say about the makeup of the man and his offense when he understands he, you know, not to underutilize any one of the, the amount of weapons you have? Well, you know, it's listen. He obviously they have some talented players there in Minnesota, and they sort of put that team together uh, to because that's sort of what they needed to win. And and they do have two, uh, you know, really good receivers, but not like they go three wide and four wide a ton. You, you see so much personnel these days with three wide receivers, and the Vikings are one of those teams uh, that's almost on the cutting edge because they're going more. They went more old school. And you saw that with the 49ers. You saw that, uh, you know, with the, even with the with like the Patriots, you know, more fullback in the football game, and and, uh, and and the Vikings did that a lot. And they sort of centered everything around trying to make the game as easy as possible for the quarterback. And I'm a big believer in that. If you can make the game easier and less stressful for the quarterback position, he then has the best chance to be successful. And if your quarterback is successful your offense usually is, and you win football games. And so they really centered this offense around the running backs, around Dalvin Cook, despite the fact they had two Pro Bowl wide receivers. They weren't worried about their, you know, their egos and if they're being fed enough or those types of things. It was about winning football games. And so, you know, they ran the ball, one of the best running teams in the NFL. Uh, they threw a lot of screens to their running backs because uh, they were well-executed and well-timed, and they had linemen who were smart and could get out. Um, but they also, you know, they had one of the smallest offensive lines in the NFL just two years ago. To say just last year, 2018, the Minnesota Vikings were 30th in the league in rushing. All right, same offensive line. They got a new center who's a small, smaller, fast guy, uh, first round draft pick in college. 
but they have basically, basically the same offensive line, same quarterback, same running back, same fullback, the whole thing, same tight end. They, 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 they drafted a second-round tight end, Irv Smith out of uh, uh, Alabama. But they end up in the top four in the NFC in rushing this year. I mean, that to me is scheme. That's coaching. That's how are we going to win football games? How are we going to get in the playoffs? It's not about how many yards passing or what the quarterback rating is. Uh, it's about complementary football with their defense. And they sort of centered things around that. And when they ran the football, that's when Kirk could really open it up with the play action and then have those wide receivers go deeper down the field uh, because the defense has to play the run for the first few, you know, first few seconds of the play, which then allows the Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen to go deep and not, and not, uh, you know, it's hard to drop back in the NFL, straight drop back pass, seven steps, throw the ball deep. It's just hard to do. Linemen have to block those, uh, uh, you know, crazy good athletes that, that are, you know, the defensive ends of the NFL. So Stefanski centered his offense around that tailback uh, and had one of the best rushing attacks in the league, which then, which then really helped uh, his quarterback uh, use those weapons that he had on the outside. It's actually kind of like the polar opposite because uh, last year they would throw the ball around when nothing would work out, and then they would realize, oh, well, I guess we'll get Nick Chubb to get us out of this hole and get us back in the game. Yeah, yeah I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I didn't watch much for Cleveland Browns last year, which is too bad. I was sort of looking forward to you know watching this team because they did have talent. You know, obviously they've got some good players on the outside. I like their they have two good running backs, so I imagine uh, that uh, the Cleveland Browns will you not be dropping back and throwing the ball 50 times a game next year uh, or even 45 times a game next year. My, my guess is that Kevin Stefanski will do his best to get that running game going uh, and then and, and do more bootleg, do more play action stuff because that's what he had success this year. It's also where he had success about three years ago with Case Keenan when they went, went to the NFC Championship game. Uh, and that's one of the things with, with Baker is because they weren't able to do that um, – really much because of, you know, right tackle struggled. But, you know, it was something Baker was good at was moving out to the right. With the Stefanski scheme, um, the Browns are in dire needs of t- tackle upgrades. Interior, pretty dang good. And even that was with Wyatt Teller coming on later in the year to, uh, you know, replace Kevin Zeitler. Is there any more area that's more important with the Stefanski offense? Is it the interior? Is it the tackle play? You know, in the NFL, the offensive line is so important. And, you know, some lines are obviously better than others. Some are bigger. Some are smaller. Some teams spend a ton of money on them. Uh, If you look at the Vikings offensive line, if you look at the 49ers offensive line, you know, the team with the number one seed in the NFC, uh, and the Vikings and 49ers run similar offenses, those are the number one and number two lightest offensive lines in the National Football League. All right. So, uh, the way their scheme is and the way they do that outside zone, they want guys who are a little bit smaller who can run, who are quicker, who can cut off defenders and their gaps and get them out of place, uh, which allows for that running stuff. Um, and uh, so uh, you don't have to get in that offense. You want guys who are, who are quick, who are tough, those types of things, but they're not looking for maulers. It's hard to go out there and find guys who are maulers. There's only so many people who are 330, 340 pounds. And so, you know, my guess is whatever uh, offensive line uh, you know, that the Cleveland Browns put together for next season, uh, my guess is that they're a little bit lighter 
Uh, and those guys really have to buy into this scheme. I, I haven't seen who Kevin has hired as an offensive line coach yet, but you know this scheme demands a really good line coach, and they had that in Rick Dennison, who's known this outside zone play-action system for a long, long time. So him finding the right line coach who knows the scheme and knows the details, uh, that will be huge. And then to have the, these, these offensive linemen who have never been in this scheme before, don't really understand it, uh, and sometimes that, there's a little bit of learning curve there. But you got to get those guys to buy in, to see the value of not just running the football in this type of scheme, but also the play action, the bootleg stuff that comes off of it that allows a quarterback to be successful and not have to stay in the pocket, uh, you know, for four or five seconds trying to, uh, you know, outrun, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the outside linebackers or the Steelers or, uh, you know, the defensive ends for some of these teams that allows them to get on the edge, have time, have vision down the field, and be able to make big, big plays down the field to OBJ or, or whoever ends up being the wide receivers for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, well, they had Aaron Campin last year. Obviously, came over for uh, first year after a long year, long run in Green Bay. So you know, and there's been no word on him yet. I mean, I imagine they'd like to keep him, um, cause especially with the offensive line. If you're working with younger players, you'd like to see a gradual progression from just one year to where you got them in the second year. So it'll be interesting whether or not you know that would be a name. And obviously, his resume is pretty well established. Yeah, yeah, we, we will see what uh, you know what staff he puts together and obviously there'll be some additions and some tractions. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know the personnel all that well in Cleveland, but the number two tight end is also very important this offense. They love running what I call solo uh, or tiger personnel, which is a tight end on each side and receivers on the outside. Uh, you know, you can take out that second tight end, you can put in a fullback, you can take out that second tight end uh, and put in a receiver. Well, that second tight end is sort of a mix. They can play him a little bit fullback, uh, he can be at the line for protection uh, and also the running game. And a guy like Irv Smith, who is also a threat in the passing game, sort of a guy who can you know, run, run the routes across the middle and do those types of things. So, you know, Kevin finding two quality tight ends, maybe one's a little better blocker than the other, but two quality sort of interchangeable part tight ends uh, would be huge for this offense. And, and obviously he, lo- he likes uh, using the fullback as well. So, uh, it, it should be interesting that how this whole thing comes together. I'm, I'm intrigued to keep an eye on not just personnel, but coaching personnel and what, what players uh, or what coaches he hires from other staffs around the league, but also it looks like what coaches he hires from the Minnesota Vikings because it looks like Mike Zimmer has decided to not renew some of the defensive coaches' contracts. Yeah, and that's interesting. And and the one thing with Kevin is is you know, and look, it's not that you know guys don't move on. So it's not like he has a million contacts as it is. But only being with one organization, obviously, he's got you know he's uh, you know really tight with the uh, two assistants on the offensive staff in San Francisco, working together with them in the off season. So you know, and that with any first time coach, um, George Edwards has been a name that's bantied about. Obviously, George is one of the guys that's not going to be returning to Minnesota. Um, is you know anything you can tell us about George? I've been around George Edwards, shoot, I think going way back to about 2002. Uh, he was uh, on our staff when Marvin Lewis was the defensive coordinator. This is Steve Spurrier, Washington, D.C., 2002. So I've known him for a long time. I, I always thought he's done a really good job. I think the players like him. I mean, there's a mix of guys who are really good coaches and then also guys who players actually really like him. And I think that uh, he, is, he is a good mix there. You know, Zimmer is not an easy coach to play for. And, uh, you know, some of those guys, their contracts ran out. I think some of that was organization. And I, I believe in some of it, it was the 
uh, it was the coach's preference to have their contract uh, uh, run out, and so they could go maybe somewhere else and start start some start fresh. And so, um, yeah, as I said, what we will see who who Kevin adds to the staff, but I do think George Ed, George Edwards, whether it's the coordinator or, or linebackers coach or something, uh, he's got a lot of experience. I think he's a very good defensive coordinator. The Vikings have obviously had, you know, basically a top ten even a top five defense for the vast majority of the last, uh, you know, five or six years. Uh, so I think uh, somebody that was basically running that defense would add a lot of value to, to Kevin's young staff. The linebacker coach point would actually be an interesting one because um, they're in a limbo right now, whether or not they're going to resign Joe Schobert. And after that, it was, you know, two rookies who you know, didn't essentially hit the ground running. So, so certainly, you know, George could probably aid there as well as, you know, being somebody Kevin Stefanski can lean on more here on Locked On Browns with Sage Rosenfels from uh, The Athletic Minnesota. Sage, everyone, this taboo word of analytics, um, and some people want to run with it. Some people look like it, like it's the devil or the boogeyman. In, in anything you do, especially in this world we live in now, where we have all this information, don't you want to be able to use anything and everything to help you make the most educated decisions? Listen, information is power. Uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, I believe data just recently passed oil as the most uh, um, valuable commodity out there, uh, right? So, you know, our, all of our information, all of that stuff is very valuable to, to various people, to advertisers, to all these things, right? Well, in the NFL, having information, uh, more the more information you have, uh, about, you know, players or situations, uh, you know, so much has gone off in, in the history of, of coaching, you know, off of the coach's gut. You know, my gut tells me I should throw the ball here. My gut tells me we should go for it. My gut tells me uh, we should run this type of play. Uh, I think having uh, people who are specialists in analytics, who can use information to give yourself some sort of competitive advantage, uh, I, I think that does not hurt at all. And my guess is that Kevin Again, I talked earlier about him not having some big ego. My guess is that he'd be fine with it and is fine with it. And, 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 and smart people usually like more information. Uh, they can take that information. They can use it in whatever way. Sometimes it's worthless and sometimes it has real value. Is my guess that Kevin will want to use that information. He thinks it can help his football team. And, and uh, obviously the Cleveland Browns are one of those teams that are big believers, believers in it. And I think a lot of teams now uh, are more and more, whether they say it or not. I mean, the, I think the Patriots – act like they're the team that doesn't do any of that type of stuff. I know for a fact they are deep in uh, the analytics world about, uh, you know, again, play calls and matchups and, and who should be playing and, and, you know, and what personnel and, and all those types of things. Uh, the Patriots are right up there in the analytics world. Uh, and, 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 like, that's one of the prime examples is a, a guy that is intelligent and, you know, as well-versed as Bill Belichick, um, you know, he's not going to turn a blind eye to something that would – actually aid him in that instance. And this is one of the things where we went through this this year. There were so many Monday afternoon Freddy Kitchens of, well, everything says you don't do this. And it was, well, my gut, my gut, my gut. And like it was, it got to the point where, man, every time this guy goes to his gut, it shoots himself in the foot or it shoots the team in the foot, so to speak. Um, and like the simplicity of things like, you know, okay, there's 129 on the clock. You got the ball at the 35. Let's try and get a field goal before half. Coach, you got five plays. You got two timeouts, but essentially you only got one because you want to hold that one. If we got to set up for the field goal. 
And this is things that come through the radar or as simple as, hey, uh, coach, if you're going 10 personnel here, they're going to blitz 63% of the time. And when you're in a building with 75,000 people screaming their heads off, you could have done all this work all week long, but it's really easy to lose yourself in the moment there. And that's where these guys come in, no? Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely where they come in. And uh, to have sort of a, a specialist for that, who's basically that's their job is to work on those types of things. I mean, the NFL game, it's not like tennis, all right? Uh, it's not like a, a golf per se. Uh, it's a game of situations. Everything is a situation in the NFL. You know, first and 10, there's third and ones, there's red zone, there's backed up, there's two minute, four minute. You know, every play call on the, on, on the sheet of all these coaches, it's in some sort of category of a situation. And, uh, you know, interesting fact I learned recently is that third and one is the only third down distance that actually is a better quote unquote situation than first and 10. All right. Third and two is a worse situation than third, than, than first and 10. Uh, the challenge of that call of the likelihood of something good happening Third and two is actually worse than, than, than first and 10. Pretty interesting, right? Those are the types of things that are analytic. Uh, you know, try to stay out of third and longs. And that's what the Vikings did a great job this year. Uh, I, I'd like to know the stats on the Cleveland Browns, who I don't think ran the football nearly enough uh, this past year. How many third and sevens, eights, nines, tens were they in? Because as you get further and further uh, it, it, on the chains, your third down percentage naturally goes down. Your interception percentage goes up. Your turnover percentage goes up. Your sacks go up. All those types of things. And the Vikings did a great job of really, really trying to stay out of third and long situations uh, because those are just so, so tough in the National Football League. And yeah, that, those are the things that the analytics tell you is, you know, really you have to find ways to stay on, stay, stay on course, uh, stay within the chains uh, per se. As, you know, hey, runs, runs of two and three on first down are fine. It's a second and seven. All right, now try to get the third and three. You know, try to ha try to get in, in reasonable, manageable situations where now the offense can run or pass. Uh, and my guess is that the Browns were in way too many third and longs last year. They were, and part of the issue was is um, when they got to the third and longs, um, you had two receivers who you know, were injured. You know, uh, Odell had the sports hernia, Jarvis had a hip, so even you couldn't even rely on yak because these guys, you know, it was just enough for them to get separation, to get open. Then you're asking them injured to break tackles. It, it just wasn't working out for them in that respect. Um, now, just before we let you go here, Sage, and I like to do this when I talk with anybody, give me some, a memory or two, some of your brightest moments in 12 years in the NFL. Oh, Good question. Well, I, you know, just, just being a member of that Vikings team in 2009 that lost to the Saints in the NFC Championship game, that was a great memory. Uh, I was lucky enough to go into a football game when we were down by about four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and I threw four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter when I was with the Texans. Uh, I think that was 2007. And then maybe one of my brighter moments was uh, playing for Nick Saban in, in 2005. Uh, I get called in to go into the fourth quarter. Uh, we're down 23 to three. End up uh, having three touchdown drives in the fourth quarter, and, and won the game on a last-second fade route to Chris Chambers in the right end zone against the Buffalo Bills. That was uh, that was a great moment in my NFL career, I would say. 
Nice. Uh, Sage, we appreciate you for your time here. And obviously, you know, school, uh, schooling us a little bit more here on Kevin Stefanski and, you know, the type of offense he likes to bring here and some looks for changes that we might need here with the Browns. Uh, do agree with you there. The problem is, is they have five tight ends and they're all essentially the same guy. And um, they're certainly going to need to upgrade to some sort of blocker in that way. Um, but Sage, again, appreciate you so much for your time, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.